probably the most thrilling and exciting life, night of my life up to that point. You see, at the time, I was the manager of the professional soccer team in Cleveland, and all year long, we'd been working hard to get us to that night, a national championship. You know, we worked hard to get there, and not only did we get to play a national championship, we actually got to play the team in Charlotte, which were our main rivals, and all season long, we've been going back and forth and back and forth with them. We got broadcasted on national television all across the states on Fox Sports, and we got to do it in a sold-out crowd at our home stadium. If you're an athlete, if you've been ever an athlete, you know you dream for those nights. And our team was ready. We came out right out of the gates, 90 minutes to decide our fate and if it was all worth it. 40 minutes into the game, we scored our first goal, going up 1-0. 38th minute, we go up, we score again, 2-0, comfortable lead, and our game plan is playing out just like we hoped. Five minutes before the game ended, Charlotte comes back and scores 2-1. And it truly ends up being one of those nail biters where you thought, man, if we just hang on for dear life, maybe we can make it. And guess what? 90 minutes is over, referee blows the final whistle, and here we are, national champions. Truly a night that I will never, ever forget. But there's another reason why I will never, ever forget that night. And it's something that completely caught me off guard, and I did not expect to happen. It was about two hours after the game ended. I found myself only with a few people left in the stadium. Everybody went out to celebrate, and we ended up just having a few cleaning crews and some operations guys left. And I sat at the top of the stadium looking over the beautiful Cleveland skyline and found myself just trying to take in that moment, just to absorb as much of that emotion as I can do. As I was sitting there, though, a thought hit me that truly caught me off guard. And that was a question that popped into my mind, and the question was this, is that all? You see, unconsciously, I didn't do this purposefully, but I thought, as long as I'm just going to get there, and we're going to put as much work into it, and we're going to win this championship, I'm going to be full in my life. I'm going to find happiness. I'm going to find the good life in the success that I'm going to have, only to find myself getting there, asking myself, truly, is this it? Because there was still that emptiness inside of me. Now, I don't know what you are and what your life has been, and maybe you've already experienced a moment like this, or maybe you're in this moment right now, consciously or subconsciously, just saying, if I just get this promotion, I'm going to be happy. Or if I just have enough money in my bank account, I'm going to be having a blessed life. Or maybe if my kids finally behaved, I want them to behave, I'm going to be happy. But that's why I love that we're in this series right now called The Good Life. Because it's not the world's standards that tell us what a good life looks like. It's Jesus himself on the Sermon of the Mount. And he gives us what I would call upside-down statements. Statements that at first make no sense whatsoever, and they're counter-cultural about what the world tells us. You know, in the first week, we looked together at God blesses those who are poor in spirit. Anybody ever wanted to be poor in spirit? I don't. Secondly, we looked at God blesses the, those who mourn. We looked at God blesses those who are humble and meek. And last weekend, together, we looked at that God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice. It goes completely countercultural what the current what the culture tells us. Because if you look at the media and if you talk to people around us, you would think that God blesses those who are ruthless. 
God blesses those who are egocentric. God blesses those who work hard just for themselves. But that's not what God, Jesus tells us in those verses. And so today, I want to look at verse 7, another sentence that Jesus adds in this line of who God blesses, and it's this. Verse 7 says this, God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Now, at first glance at this verse, you may think, okay, so what it was saying is that God only blesses those or only shows mercy to those who are merciful. And that's, let me say this right now, that's not the case at all. In case the big story of the Bible is all about Jesus giving us his unconditional love and mercy over and over. There's nothing we can do. But I do think that God is challenging each and every one of us today to be more merciful. And I got to be honest, especially in a time right now, if I look at the, um, the world around us, I think we need mercy more than ever before, which is why I love that we get to watch and look at what Jesus means by showing mercy to others. So then I started myself asking the question about, well, what is mercy? And as I was thinking through this and preparing for this message, I found myself very quickly interchanging the word mercy and the word grace all the time. But the deeper I got into my studies, I realized that there's actually a significant difference between those two. Now, they're very similar, but there's a significant difference that I want to unveil together with you. And the way I look at it is so that mercy is not getting what you deserve, and grace is getting what you don't deserve. Now, this is kind of a thinker, so I'm going to give you a moment. I'm going to use an example to explain this in a minute. But truly, mercy is not getting what you deserve, and grace is getting what you don't deserve. The way I look at it is it's, it's the two sides of a coin, okay? you got mercy on one side, grace on the other, but the coin itself is love, okay? So it's just a different expression of love. And to make this even more easier, let me use an example, and it's the example of Jesus himself. Now, Donna just read to us those verses that made it very clear the big story in the Bible is that we have all sinned, which means we've all fallen short of the glory of God, which severed us from being together in fellowship with him. But when Jesus came, he repaired that broken relationship. And in that act, he showed us mercy and he showed us grace. Let me explain that to you. So mercy is not getting what you deserve. And so what Jesus did is because the wages of death is sin, uh, sorry, the, the wages of sin is death, mercy means that God showed us mercy because that means that if we accept him as our Lord and Savior, if we accept him into our hearts, that means we don't have to go to hell because that's what we would deserve and mercy saves us from that. Now, grace, on the other hand, is a little bit different because grace is, is getting what you don't deserve, which also means that we're not only not having to go to hell, but because of his grace, he also is going to take us into heaven one day. And so that's, in short terms, that's the gospel. That's what we live for each and every day. Now, faith and mercy also as an action step. Every time you look in the Bible and the word mercy comes up, it's always connected to some action, something to do. And so as we think about the word mercy, as we're reading through the scriptures, I want us to think less maybe than grace, use the word compassion. Compassion towards somebody that you can gain nothing from, and you'll see that in a moment and why that is so important. Now, I got to be honest, I've met some truly incredible people over the course of my life, and I've been fortunate. And actually, some of you, I can see you sitting right out here, and I feel honored 
to know you. But I want to introduce you to one of my friends that as I was thinking about this word mercy and what that means, this person came into my life. And this is my friend Musa. Musa is Kenyan. He's from Kenya. He's lived there. Um, he's grew up there and then spent most of his days playing soccer in all over Africa, really. And if you would be Kenyan, you would know exactly who Musa is. You may have met him. He actually has been here a couple of times for the soccer camps that we did for our kids. But this is Musa. And if you're Kenyan, you know exactly who he is because he's probably the most decorated and honored soccer player and athlete in general that Kenya has ever produced. He played for his national team over 100 times. He's, he's, done, he's, award, he's won just about every award you can imagine. But that's not what makes Musa merciful. In fact, what makes him merciful is what he did after the end of his career. Because he could have taken it easy. He's made enough money. He could have easily relaxed. He had a beautiful house in Cape Town, South Africa. And he could have just sit in that house with his family and just enjoyed retirement after the end of his playing days. But he felt God had more for him. He felt like God said, hey, I'm not done with you yet. There's something you can do. And so God put into his heart to go back to Kenya to work with the school children, the community that he grew up in, the impoverished community that he grew up in, to make a difference in the lives of people that he could absolutely gain nothing from. And so he started to adopt an elementary school, the school that he used to as a little boy, and start to make a difference. Now, if you think school, this is not kind of the school that we have here in the States. Um, actually, I remember I had the privilege of sitting across with Musa when he first had this idea um, with the principal, and we just asked him some general questions about, you know, what kind of things do you want to do in this school? How can we help? What do you need? And one of the first things he mentioned almost casually was like, you know, we have like all this asbestos in our ceilings. Man, we would really like to get rid of that. I'm like, okay. And he said, the second thing I want to do is I want to hire a security guard so people stop dealing drugs and um, start robbing stuff from our school properties. And so this would really be helpful if you can help us with that. Musa decided he's going to go back into helping somebody that was in need. And he didn't stop there. Actually, over these last few weeks, he single-handedly organized the distribution while the coronavirus was hitting to 140 families. No, sorry, 700 families in his community. He single-handedly helped them find food because he knew that the kids that he was serving, they didn't have enough to eat before corona, so he knew they were going to get even more hungry during this crisis. And so he decided to help them in that way and recruited his players and coaches to help in that step. And you can actually see him on the corner here on, the, um, on your right. Um, he ended up getting the coronavirus himself, ended up in the hospital on a respirator. And I'm glad to tell you he's doing well now. He's recovered fully. He's already started to text me new ideas about how he now wants to empower the women in the community and provide jobs for them so they can have a self-sustaining life and more security in their lives. But that is what God calls you and me to do. That is showing mercy to somebody we can gain nothing from. So how do we get there? How do we, how does a person like Musa who had everything decides to do something radical to change the lives of other people? And I'm going to give you the answer up front. It's simple. It's we need to recognize first that we are in need of mercy. Jesus tells another story in, in the book of Matthew, Matthew 18, where he's sharing about a story of the unmerciful servant. And so maybe you're familiar with the story. If not, let me give you a quick recap. So Jesus tells a story to the people around him, and he's sharing about this king, and this king was rich, and so people started to borrow money from him. 
Most specifically, one servant decided he was going to borrow a huge amount of money from this king, 10,000 talents. To give you a little bit of perspective, the taxes that were collected in five different regions in, um, in the Jewish community at the time were about 800 talents. So, you know, we're talking about millions and millions of dollars um, comparatively that this servant borrowed. So one day, this king goes up and he realizes, okay, um, I'm going to do an audit of my books. I want to see kind of where my money is at. And he comes across this loan that he gave to the servant. And so since this is a huge amount, he decided, hey, why don't you bring that servant up to me and I want to hear what's going on and, you know, when I'm going to get this money back. So as soon as that servant hears it, obviously fear gets struck in his heart because he knows that there's no way ever he's going to be able to repay that debt, right? There's no way he can ever get there. So he knows he has one chance, and what he does is he throws himself in front of that king and begs for his life and says, king, please forgive me, please help me. I, you, know, you don't even have to forgive it to me. Just give me an extension. I'll pay you back, I promise. I don't know how, but I'll, I'll promise. I'll get you back, and I'll make sure you get paid in full. And then as Jesus is sharing this, this story, you can feel the hearts of people swell up because that king has true compassion and mercy for the servant. And so what he decides to do is actually to forgive the entire debt to the servant. So in that moment, the crowd around him, you know, they get this warm, fuzzy feeling inside, saying, man, what a great king, how generous, that is amazing. But that's not where the story ends. In fact, the story follows the servant just a sentence later, as Jesus tells it, the servant goes out of the throne room, walks down the street, and sees a fellow servant. And funny enough, this servant owed him money this time, only a small amount, it wasn't huge, so the, the servant thought, okay, well, since you owe me money, I need a little bit. I'm going to go up and ask for it back. So he goes up, asks for that money back, and the servant there couldn't pay him either. And so he does exactly the same thing as this first servant did, throws himself in front of, from the of him and says, hey, can you just give me an extension? You know, I, I'll pay you back, I promise. And then something happened that surprised me because this servant gets angry. He says, well, how dare you? No, you are not allowed. I, you owe me this money. I'm going to throw you and your family in jail, and you're going to be sold into slavery until you pay every single penny back. Now, I admit it. I'm German, and we're very righteous people. And so inside of me, every little hair goes up, and I think, well, how is it justice? How can this be? How can this king, uh, how can this servant do this to this fellow servant after he's just been forgiven so much? That's where I felt, well, Jesus turns the story onto us and onto me. And I felt convicted over reading through it because he says, you know what? That's what we do all the time. That's what I do all the time. Because in the story, the king is God. He's the one that's forgiven us so much. He's forgiven us every mistake, every sin that you and I have ever committed. But then we turn around and do that to other people. We're judging other people. We're holding things over their heads because we think that's the right thing to do. And so that's why I think that if we ever wanted to come to a point where we can truly be merciful, we need to recognize that we've been forgiven first. That God has forgiven us much more than other people ever could. And that doesn't make right what they've done. I'm not saying that at all. But if I look at it in perspective, we've been forgiven so much more than what people could ever do to us. And I think that's why being merciful is so important. Let me put it in a different way. You guys are probably all familiar with the golden rule, right? So in another word of this, it's kind of what the golden rule is. It's actually in the Bible, in case you didn't know this. But it says, do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. 
Um, actually, my last job before I came here, that was um, printed on the wall. That was kind of our motto. Now, we can use that verse, and it's a great rule to follow, and I can even put that into mercy terms. Would look like this. Show mercy like you would like to be receiving mercy. Okay? Not bad. Nothing wrong with that. It's a good way to live by. But I think Jesus, in these verses, I called us to a step above even that. And that's what I want us to leave with today is, a, is our bottom line. And when we talk about our bottom line, it's the one sentence that if you forget anything else I've said today, this is what I want you to remember. And it's nothing I came up with. I stole it from a pastor in South Carolina, uh, Pastor Dervin Gray. But this is how he phrased it. He said, we need to show mercy and treat people like Jesus died for them. Let me say that again. We need to show mercy and treat people like Jesus died for them. You know what? Because he did. It doesn't matter who it is. Jesus died for each and every one of us. And I know I've been forgiven, been forgiven a huge amount of debt. So if you want to be truly merciful, that's where it starts. Now, maybe you have never received that kind of mercy. Maybe you've never experienced this. Maybe you're here this morning and you're still kind of kicking the tires on this Jesus. And you may even start reading the Bible a little bit just to figure out what this is all about. Well, if that is you, let me just encourage you. The best decision I've ever made in my life was to accept Jesus. That weight that was lifted, that debt that I was carrying around with me was gone. And if you've never done that this morning, let me just encourage you not to let another day go by before that happens. And so if you want to stop after the service and talk to me, if you want to call me, email me, text me this week, it doesn't matter. I want you to help to make that decision because that's how you truly feel free and that's how you are going to be able to start truly be merciful to others. Now let's recap real briefly. What is mercy? Mercy is not getting what we deserve. Why do we need to show mercy? Because God's forgiven us so much more before we could ever share any pieces of mercy. And if you've never received that before, I want to encourage you to make that decision today. And then remember our bottom line, that we need to show mercy and treat people like Jesus died for them. Now, another thing we do as part of this Good Life series is actually make this very practical. And we've called this the hashtag Be The Light Challenge because we want you not just to sit here and listen to this message, but we want you to be able to go out and be a light in the community. And so I have another challenge for you this week. And the stories that we fear for people that have taken those steps is truly amazing. And I can't wait to see and hear how God's using this challenge in your life this week. But sometimes this week, you're going to find yourself in a line somewhere, okay? Could be at the grocery store. Could be at McDonald's or Starbucks or Chick-fil-A or uh, Perkins or whatever it may be. It could be even at the gas station, wherever it is. I want you to give somebody, show mercy to somebody, give them what they don't deserve from somebody you can gain nothing from, which is usually their bill or their payment, and I want you to pay for the person in line behind you. It's something that me and my family have done for many years. Actually, my dad taught it to me. I've done it with my kids. It's a great way to engage your kids into generosity as well. But I want you to take that step and show mercy to somebody this week. Let me just say a word of prayer, and then we're going to dismiss you by Rose. But dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this morning. I thank you for every person who is here, and I thank you for your message of mercy God, I know I needed to hear it because in a time like this, it's so easy to focus on myself and all that I want and forget the people that you've put in our lives. 
And so, God, as we leave from this place, I pray that you will help us to recognize how merciful you have been first and foremost and how much we have been forgiven because of what you did on the cross for us. And so, God, as we go into this week, I pray that you'll give us opportunities to show mercy to people, to surprise people by how grateful we are because of what you have done and to spread that and be the light in the community that you're calling us to be. God, I thank you for this morning. Thank you for speaking to me. Thank you for us being able to take this step. And as we go into this week, God, let us make a difference for you. We just thank you and love you. Amen. So as we've done before, our greeters are going to start dismissing from the back. Thank you so much for being here, and we're looking forward to seeing you again next week.